Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. Think about this. In, in your home, are there tasks that you just don't want to do? <laughs> are there things that you think, okay, that's got to be another family member, or you just ignore it, hoping that somebody will like eventually do it? Or even in relationships, maybe in friendship, you, you roll your eyes when your friend needs help again, when they're having another personal crisis again, when they're calling you again. Maybe going low is serving them with a conversation. Or maybe even in the world, you're unwilling to take on the, the lowest parts of your job at work. goes beyond avoiding sin and sharing the gospel with the people around you. To follow Jesus means to take on his mindset. As Pastor Ricky will explain in today's message, Jesus humbled himself to our level, and even lower, to bring us freedom. His entire existence as a human was one of humble service. When we take on that mindset, there's nothing too low for us. From inconvenience to outright suffering, we should be willing to go great lengths for the people in our lives. Let's join Pastor Ricky now for part one of his message, Low, Lower, Highest, from the book of Philippians, chapter two. Philippians chapter two. We're gonna be considering our study in Philippians called the happiest book in the Bible. And as we begin today, I wanna to read to you from the Washington Post. The article says the following. He emerged from the metro at L'Enfant Plaza station and positioned himself against the wall beside a trash basket. By most measures, he was, a, he was nondescript, a youngish white man in jeans, a long sleeve t-shirt, a Washington Nationals baseball cap. From a small case, he removed a violin and began to play. It was 7.51 a.m. on Friday, January 2nd, the middle of the morning rush hour. In the next 43 minutes, as the violinist performed six classical pieces, 1,097 people passed by. Each passerby had a quick choice to make, one familiar to commuters in, commuters in an urban area where the occasional street performer is just part of the cityscape. Do you stop and listen? No one knew it, but the fiddler standing against a bare wall outside the metro in an indoor arcade at the top of the escalators was one of the finest classical musicians in the world, playing some of the most elegant music ever written on one of the most valuable violins ever made. At age 39, Joshua Bell was then had arrived at an, as an internationally acclaimed virtuoso. Three days before he appeared at the metro station, Bell had filled the house at Boston's stately Symphony Hall, where merely pretty good seats went for $100. And his violin was crafted in 1713 by Antonio Stradivari during the Italian master's, quote, golden period. The price tag of the instrument was reported to be about $3.5 million. Now you're wondering, okay, well, what happened? Like, did people stop? The result was that only a handful of people stopped across the whole 43 minutes he played. At no point did he like gather a crowd around him. And at the end of his 43 minute shift, he made about $13.47. The people in that train station that morning missed something of glory because it was found in an unexpected place. In our passage today, we're going to find the same thing, something of glory that is found in an unexpected 
place. This passage isn't just any passage. This really is the heart of the book of Philippians. And in fact, one of the most poetic and lyrical sections of the whole New Testament. It's, it's language kind of soars off the page and it's meant to do that. Uh, it was possibly a common creed in the church or a hymn in the church, but it's just as possible that Paul composed this creed or hymn um, just for this letter, and that's actually how it became popular. One commentator says this, the soaring, unanswerable language of a Bach cantata, which is best understood by being heard out to the end and heard again, sums up Paul's hymn in Philippians. And this hymn or, or, or a creed has a theme to it, which is the glory of Christ found in an unexpected place. So let's read God's word this morning, Philippians 2. Um, our text today is verses 5 through 11, but I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 for some context here. Brothers and sisters, this is God's word. So... If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now hit the hymn. Verse five, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, therefore... God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, this passage should have two different effects on us this morning, friends. Uh, first, it should make us stop and stare and rejoice at the glory of Christ. I hope you picked this up, but Paul could have just made his point in like a line or two, right? His point is, hey, serve other people. So he could have just said, serve other people the way Jesus did, serve us, and then move on. But he doesn't. He takes verse after verse to unpack the glories of the incarnation and the cross and the ascension because he's making a point. He wants to hold out to us the beauty and majesty and glory of Jesus. Friends, when is the last time that you have stopped and stared at the glory of Jesus. Especially those of us that have grown up in church or around church a lot, it could be very easy for us to think, oh yes, that's right, he uh, hailed the eternal son, all I have is Christ, yes, yes. But, but getting to the point where it arrests our attention, we don't wanna be like the people in L'Enfant Plaza who something of glory is happening feet away from them and they simply pass by. So this passage is an invitation to stop and stare for a minute. But second, this, this whole section about Christ has a point to it, the point that Paul is driving home. Verse five, he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, right? The, the, the word mind really means mindset, kind of the, the way you approach the world and think about the world. And so there's this way that Jesus has approached 
life has approached the world that we should adopt ourselves. And again, it goes right in line with what we covered last week, uh, that Paul is encouraging us toward a radical others focus, not self-focus. But man, does he drive this thing home by using the example of Jesus. So the, the, the main idea today is simple. Our Savior was made low to be lifted high, and we worship and follow. Our Savior was made low to be lifted high, and our response is we worship and we follow. So there's three movements of the text today that we're going to go through. The first is low, the second one is lower, and the third one is highest. Section one, the first movement, low. We start with Jesus in verse six, before he came to earth. Verse six, who though he was in the form of God. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, John Calvin comments that the form of God means here his majesty. For as man is known by appearance of his form, so the majesty which shines forth in God is his figure. Right, so he wasn't in a human body. He existed in a form simply of glory. But this also hints at the eternal nature of God. He's always been in the form of God. Colossians 1 says this, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. Now, when it says firstborn, just to clarify, it doesn't mean that Jesus was the first thing that God made, as some heresies propose. Um, instead, it means that he's the firstborn of creation, meaning he, he occupies the place of honor in the whole universe, the way a firstborn would in the ancient world. Jesus was the word, John tells us, that spoke the universe into existence, the world, the word that upholds everything. And so this is the picture we get of Jesus before he shows up on earth. He is fully God. He is exalted. He is ruling. He is reigning. He lacks nothing. <laughs> he needs nothing. He is full of power and glory. And yet verse six tells us this, that he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. The language here doesn't mean grasp like understood, like he understood that. It means grasp like, like clutching and holding on to something, right? The way that, that for example, a, a certain three-year-old that I know will grasp something that his brother has an interest in taking away from him, right? It's, it's this like, no, this is mine, right? This is... That's what grasped mean. So Jesus didn't clutch on or hold on. Like, no, I'm gonna keep this form of glory. He did not. Here's the thing. He, Jesus had every right to keep that form of God, that form of glory. He had every right to maintain it. He was God, but rather than grasping it and clutching it, he did something else. Verse seven, he emptied himself. He emptied himself himself, by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men. So the world maker becomes a man. Now, some people will, will twist this and try to say, well, he must have given up part of his godhood or not been fully God or something like that because it says he emptied himself. Well, 
When that language happens in the New Testament, it doesn't mean literally, it's not to be thinking literally, but metaphorically. That's the way the language is used in the New Testament. And then right after Paul says he emptied himself, he, he tells us what he means by that, right? It says he emptied himself by, so this was the emptying, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Here's what's interesting then, guys. Jesus emptying himself wasn't so much taking something out of himself, but putting something else onto himself. So instead of maintaining his glory, he took on something. I'm gonna quote from one of my favorite theologians, Shai Lin, who's a rapper. Vince gave me this quote. Thank you, Vince. He says this, he became what he wasn't while never ceasing to be what he was, Right? He was born a baby. He grew up, he cried, he bled, he got tired. He veiled this majestic form of God by taking on the form of man. Brian Chapel uses this illustration of what it means to empty yourself in this way. He says this, in this particular part of Africa, the chief is the strongest man in the village, right? So whoever the strongest, biggest guy is, that's the chief. As the chief, he wears a very large headdress and ceremonial robes. One day, a man carrying water out of the shaft of a deep well fell and broke his leg and lay helpless at the bottom of the well. To get down to the bottom, one would have to climb down using alternating slits that go all the way down the deep well and then climb back up. Because no one could carry the helpless man up like this, the chief was summoned. When he saw the plight of the man, he laid aside his headdress and his robe, climbed all the way to the bottom, put the injured man on himself and brought him to safety. He did what no other man could do. That is what Jesus has done for us. He laid aside his heavenly glory in order to save us. Did the chief cease being the chief when he laid aside his headdress and robes? Of course not. Did Jesus cease to be God when he came to rescue us? Of course not, right? If anything, the chief is all the more the chief while he is acting the part of the chief to go rescue this man. And if anything, Jesus is more God, more clearly seen as a gracious God by coming to rescue us. Commentators Chan and Meredith say this, Jesus didn't relinquish his deity, he surrendered his rights and prerogatives. So the world maker becomes man. And what's our response, friends? We worship and we follow. We worship the God become man. It should make us stand in awe and wonder. This isn't just a Christmas truth, right? Sometimes I think it's a little weird that the church is like, well, we think about that at Christmas. You can't be preaching this. The incarnation is for Christmas. This is Easter almost, right? No, they're tied together, right? It should astound us, friends, that, that Jesus would take our form, listen, the form of a created being, and not just the form of any created being, the form of a race of created beings who arrayed themselves in rebellion to him. And the world maker becomes a man like us, and we worship. We worship. That, that's, that really is one of the main applications of this text. But second, we follow. Ask yourself, friend, what, what things do you think are too low for you? What things are you unwilling to give up? We, we must be willing to go low, to follow Jesus' example, to serve others. I remember when I was an intern at the church, this is probably, man, I don't know, 12 years ago or something. I was an intern at the church, and one of the jobs I had that year as an intern 
was to help with property management, which basically meant that I didn't know how to fix anything, but when things broke, I had to find somebody that could fix them. And so some of the things I thought, well, I'll handle it myself. And so we had this one sprinkler head in the backyard. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but in the backyard of the church, uh, we don't have like normal mud, like fun mud, you know, like, like oh yeah, this, it's fun to like splash and slosh around. This is like demon mud. This is like Satan's personal mud. It's made of clay. So, so when you dig down to like repair a sprinkler, it like sucks your arm down in there. I'm serious. If you've never experienced this, I will I'll give you some opportunities uh, on work days to do that. And so, and we couldn't get, me and another guy from the church, we're trying to figure this out. We're trying to get this done. We had to dig a little bit out. And by the end of the thing, I'm coated. And I mean this, like coated in the demon mud. It's like clinging to me. And I remember thinking, I should not have to do this, right? Like, we've, there's got to be somebody else. I am an intern at the church, right? <laughs> I mean, and what's, here's what's funny. In that moment, one of the things is I'm washing myself off. My, God brought to mind uh, my dad's story that he used to always tell when he first started working for his dad. And one of the, one of the times where, you know, they have a family business, and so they're customs brokers, and so they're unlo- he's unloading this, they, they, they get all these these cattle that don't want to get off of this one truck to the next truck. And so nobody's there. So my dad has to do this with another guy. And then he has to go into the first truck and muck it out, right? Clean out the stuff from the truck. You guys know what I mean when I say the stuff? Okay, I don't want to have to, here we go. The stuff of the truck. And he, he tells that when he, when he got home, his mom smelled him, looked at the clothes, took the clothes and like burned them or threw them away. And so I thought, okay, all right, this is my dad. And then I remembered my grandfather's story, right? Well, my grandfather grew up in the Great Depression after immigrating from Mexico and everybody in his family that could work did work. And as a kid, he worked cleaning off bricks so they could be recycled in the new buildings for $1 a day at like age 12. And all of that like hits me as I'm like, you know, like I shouldn't have to clean this demon mud up. And it's just is like, boom, look, man. And, and it was like, the Lord spoke to me and said, you're, Listen, your dad went lower, your grandfather went lower. You can go low to serve others, right? In the same way, Jesus' example compels us where we think, well, I'm too good for this job or doing this. And and Jesus himself went low, far lower than we would dare to go. So think about this. In in your home, are there tasks that you just don't wanna do? Are there things that you think, okay, that's gotta be another family member, or you just ignore it, hoping that somebody will like eventually do it? Or even in relationships, maybe in friendship, you, you roll your eyes when your friend needs help again, when they're having another personal crisis again, when they're calling you again. Maybe going low is serving them with a conversation. Or maybe even in the world, you're unwilling to take on the, the lowest parts of your job at work. You know, I, as I was praying about this this morning, I just felt even a special application for moms of young kids in particular. What I really do believe, especially ladies, I want you to hear me on this. I really do believe the Lord wants to encourage you today that your life may feel like it just consists of wiping noses and changing diapers and ferrying a mass of humanity that is screaming and yelling and throwing grape juice everywhere from one place to another And it is like what you experience from when you wake up to when you go to sleep and several times while you're sleeping, right? Like, how did you find that grape juice in the middle of the night? Like, really, guys, I want to encourage you that your service is not unseen 
and in fact is absolutely God-glorifying. Because in those moments where you think nobody else sees, nobody else cares, in that moment, you are actually imitating and imaging the Son of God himself as he came as a servant. And all of a sudden, your, your, your life transforms into like, almost like a full-time caregiver for this like demon child. And you think, man, this is, low, this is much lower than where my life was before. And I think from this passage, you should be encouraged. This is exactly what Paul's encouraging. Have the mindset of Christ. I believe God wants to encourage you with that today. Low, but second movement, lower. I love this. Paul he goes from high to low and then low to lower. Verse eight, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. So the world maker becomes a man and the man becomes the forsaken. Kierkegaard comments on this phrase, Christ humbled himself. And I love this. He notes, Christ humbled himself, not he was humbled. Oh, infinite sublimity of which, it, of which it must be categorically be true that there was none in heaven or on earth or in the abyss that could humble him. He humbled himself. The infinite qualitative difference between Christ and every other man lies indeed in this, that in every humiliation which he suffers, it is absolutely necessary that he himself should assent and confirm that he is willing to submit himself to that humiliation. This is infinite superiority over suffering, but at the same time, also suffering infinitely more intense in kind. You see what he's saying? Jesus, at every point on the way to the cross, chose to humble himself, to submit again. And this phrase, he became obedient. Meaning, it's not like he didn't have a choice, but that he followed the will of God the Father. In Luke 22, he chooses, he says, Father, if you are willing to remove this cup from me, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Right? He is humbling himself under his Father's will. Jesus followed the Father, but he chose to follow the will of the Father. He says later that he could command 10,000 angels and escape at every moment, right? So when he's standing before the Sanhedrin and being mocked and beaten, when he's standing before Pilate, when he's being whipped, when he's being crowned with thorns, at every moment, he, as the world maker become man, is choosing, I sink lower still. He humbled himself when no one could humble him. And then Paul adds this in verse eight, even death on a cross, the final humiliation. Hope in God, oh my soul, He is strong and He's strong to save. Hope in God, He's a rock and you hide in place. He's a mighty fortress. We wish we had more time with you today, but sadly, that's all we have to share from Pastor Ricky's message today. However, you don't have to stop learning from the happiest book in the Bible. We'd like to encourage you to read ahead in Philippians and let the joy Jesus has to give you become your go-to emotion. If you'd like to hear today's message again or listen to other Better News Radio series, we'd like to invite you to visit betternewsradio.com. 
You'll even be able to subscribe to our podcast, watch Pastor Ricky's welcome video, and download a free book. If you're searching for a church in your area, we'd also like to point you to the church tab at betternewsradio.com. There you'll find a resource to help you locate a great community of faith that would be happy to welcome you into their family. If you're in El Paso, we'd love to have you come by Cross of Grace Church. Find directions and service times at the church tab as well, right there online at betternewsradio.com. We know that some of our listeners today may be experiencing some difficulties in life, and we'd like to let you know that you're being prayed for regularly here at Better News Radio. If you ever have a specific request you'd like us to take before the Lord, feel free to give us a call. Our number is 915-562-7100. That's 915-562-7100. Thanks again for being part of our listening audience. Join us next time to keep experiencing the happiest book in the Bible, right here on Better News Radio.